September 11th, I was in New York just a few weeks later. And every cab that I got in seemed like it was driven by an Arab or a Pakistani or somebody from the Middle East. And each time I got into a cab, I would say, have you had any problems with anybody since you, since the bombings of the Twin Towers? And they began, every one of them erupted. People have gotten out of my cars, my cab. They've cursed me. They've yelled at me as soon as they've seen I've been an Arab. And I've just been ridiculed every single trip. And I said, I want you to know that I'm a follower of Jesus and I want to apologize to you for that. And I began to see their hearts melt. Final day, I had taken a number of Jesus videos with me to give out in various languages, and I had one left. I had a, one in Egyptian Arabic left. I brought some in Pakistani languages and some other Arabic languages. And so that morning, I got up, I prayed, and I said, Lord, if, you know, could the cab driver on the way to the airport this time be an Egyptian? Because that's all I have left. And I got in, and I said, uh, you know, I want to want to go to the airport and to LaGuardia and he said okay and I said uh, oh your name is Abdul whatever it is I said where are you from I said, why do you want to know I said well I always like to find out where the cab drivers are from I, I've traveled a lot in the Middle East and he said well I'm from Egypt and I said the same thing to you have you had any problem with people saying nasty things to you because you're from the Middle East and he just began he was irate so mad I hate you I hate you Americans you think you know it all you think you're the best country in the world and I hate you I said well obviously some people have deeply offended you and I as a follower of Jesus I want to tell you how sorry I am and then he just lit into me again I said you know I just like to apologize one more time for people who have treated you badly that's not what Jesus would ever have done and he launched one more time and I said I'm really sorry and when we got to LaGuardia he said uh, you don't have to pay for the cab ride I said oh, oh no I want to pay for the cab ride well you don't have to it's okay and I said I'd like to pay for the cab ride and I'd like to give you a video of the story of Jesus if that wouldn't offend you I'd like to do it yeah I'd like to I'd like to have that and I saw again that what God wants for each of us is where we live to walk our talk it's so easy to know the verses and not live it. And part of what we do in trying to reach out to the world is to start right where we are. I believe that what is happening in the world today in terms of people coming to Christ is not the work of any organization. It's not the work of any strategy. It's not the work of any group. It's the absolute sovereign work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, what he is doing is what nobody can ever take any credit for. And this morning I want to share with you a few things that I hope will be of an encouragement to you of how people are coming to Christ. And uh, I, I want you to begin to believe that, number one, God will make sure that his message gets to the whole world. Number two, that it is happening in our day. Number three, that you can have a part in it. Because we're living in times that none of us could have ever fore foreseen. There are things that the Holy Spirit of God is doing that are so shocking. That things that are opening up, countries that are opening up, we would never ever have believed before. Because it's His power that is at work. One of our film teams was, went uh, into a small village in Guatemala. And uh, they were driving through 
the village and they had a sound horn on top of their truck and they were announcing the film showing for that night. And in the village that day there was a lady cooking rice in a pot around a fire and seated behind her were four nuns that had come into the village that day to do some, some teaching. And as the car went through announcing the, the film showing, this woman who was stirring the fire said she began to curse the film team and the film. And one of the nuns said, oh, you know, you shouldn't curse this film. It's about Jesus, God's son. And we've seen that film, and it's a very good film about his life. And as she was stirring the rice, she fell dead by the pot. And the word began to spread. A woman cursed a film about Jesus, and she was killed. God killed her right there by the fire. And the next two nights, 1,500 Indians came out of the bush around this. And over half of them prayed to receive Christ. Because there's something supernatural happening in parts of the world. We've all been reading about it and looking at TV about the tsunamis and everywhere. I just uh, was talking to a friend of mine in Thailand a couple of days ago. He was taking 1,500, uh, 200 workers down to Phuket to distribute 1,500 tents and start 10 cities for people who had nothing uh, where their homes had been destroyed. And uh, he said, you know, over here... People aren't so blasé. They don't just think it was a freak of nature. They think that God intended for this tsunami to come. I'm not going to take a theological position there, but let me tell you what they're saying. They're saying there was something involved in every one of those places, and the reason that Aceh got hit so hard was they had just burned down 300 churches last year, and God didn't like that. And the reason that Sri Lanka got hit was because the day before the tsunami, they just passed a law that there could be no conversion to Christianity. And that got hit. And that same law had been passed down on the southern coast of India that got hit. That you could not convert to Christianity. And why was the beach area and the island of Phuket uh, wiped out? Because it was the only nude beach in Asia. And there was all that, and, and God didn't like that. I don't know what the reasons are out there, but there are people that are thinking of other, other things, not just accidents. And it's driving them to think about things on a spiritual level that we've never seen before. And then the reports come in, and we, we heard about a village there where on December 25th, the Muslims would not let the believers worship that day, but they all went to the church on December 25th so that on the morning of December 26th, when the tsunami hit, 800 believers out of a city of 10,000 uh, were, were spared. And almost all of the others were killed. Why did this happen? Why did God do this? An orphanage in Sri Lanka. Uh, all, all believers and all these kids spared when the rest of the town was wiped out. There is something supernatural that God is doing in our, our day in which he is causing things to work together so that people are coming to know him. I was uh, in Mexico, and I hope whenever you have opportunity just to take a mission trip into Mexico, you'll do it. I was uh, down at a showing in Mexico, and it brought home to me how God cares about one individual. And there were about 300 people at this showing this night, and... When the invitation was given to receive Christ, they put up a string of lights. And uh, a young man got on the microphone and said, If tonight you would like to become a follower of Jesus, come to the light. And people began to stream up 
to the front. And there were counselors there, but they only had about 20 counselors, and there were about 200 out of the 300 people came forward to receive Christ. Well, my Spanish isn't that great, but you know, all of us live here, we know a few words and we try to do it. We had a couple of years of Spanish in high school, so I said, well, I'm not so good in my Spanish, but I'll try. And a young man came forward, he was about 22, 23 years old, and introduced himself, said he was Carlos, and I said, uh, uh, are you, uh, you coming tonight to accept Christ as your Savior? And he said, yes, I am. I said, what did you think of the film? He said, oh, I saw it last year in Tampico. I said, uh, why didn't you receive Christ last year when you saw the film? And he said, I didn't think I needed him. I said, what happened? And he said, well, not long after that, I was involved in a drug trade, uh, drug trade and I was shot by cocaine runners. And he opened up his shirt and he showed me the scars of four bullet holes in his chest. And he said, when I was laying there in the dust and the, the blood was pouring out into the dirt, I just cried out, God, save me. God save me. And he did. And I'm here tonight to give my life back to God because I shouldn't be here. He saved my life. And I'm here to give it back to him. And I said, let me show you how you can do that. And I shared the gospel with him as uh, contained in the four spiritual laws. And, and uh, I said, would you like to pray this prayer to invite Christ to be your personal Savior and Lord? He said, yes, I would. And so I just began to pray, Lord Jesus, I need you. And he prayed, Lord Jesus, I need you in Spanish. I open the door of my life and I receive you as my Savior and Lord. Take control of the throne of my life and make me the kind of person you want me to be. And then when we were done, I said, look at this passage of scripture that Jesus said in John. He said, as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believed on his name. And I said, uh, have you just now received him? He said, yes. So I said, what are you? He said, I'm one of the children of God. I said, that's right. And I said, I did this a few years ago. What am I? And he said, you also are a child of God. So I said, uh, what's our relationship? And he smiled and he said, somos hermanos. Yes, we're brothers. I said, now let me introduce you to some of the others in the family. And I said, you know, this is the sister in the family. And I introduced you and here's another brother. And uh, I was just introducing him around, and I'll never forget, about 30 minutes later, as he walked off into the darkness, he just turned around and said, Adios, familia. Because he'd understood what it means to be part of the family of God. We live today in, in one of the most advertised to, promoted to generations in history. We can't have dinner without getting a phone call and getting direct mailed and emailed and spammed in every other way and in the middle of all that we want to belong and we come from families that hurt we look good we're all cleaned up it's Sunday morning but inside you know we all have problems in our families we're not as together as we should be some of us have gone through divorce and we've lost people and as we sit here today, there's still heartache in some of our homes. People we love are dying or have died. We've gone through grief. And there's been separation. And in the middle of all this, Jesus comes and he says, You can be in my family forever and ever. You'll never, I'll never leave you or forsake you. There is hope for the future. I have plans for you. Not plans for evil, 
but for a hope and a future. And that's what the world needs. A hope and a future. And that's what Jesus gives. That's why it was such good news. A Savior is born. It's Christ the Lord. What better news is there in the whole world that there is hope and there is a Savior and you don't have to worry about being separated. You can be in a family where you'll never be thrown out, where there'll never be separation. God's eternal family. Nobody has to be motivated to share good news. Not when it's that good. You saw on the international school project about in Mongolia, people just have never heard. Never heard at all. I had the privilege of being one of the first Westerners to be in Mongolia after it opened. There were 13 known believers at the time. We gathered a few together in one of the hotels there on a Sunday morning and and uh, I gave an invitation and five more people came into the kingdom and the church grew to 18. It was just like that in the early days, just a few people. And we drove out to one of those gurs, those round canvas color covered uh, little huts out in the outside of uh, Ulaanbaatar, the capital, maybe three hours out on the plains there. And we went into this little little gur and they offered us, uh, as they do with great hospitality, the fermented mare's milk. If you ever have a chance to have that, try to avoid it, if you ever get it. And we were seated around there and he was telling us that he'd never heard of the God who created the whole world. And uh, we began to share with him how he could know God the Creator and how he provided somebody that came to die for him. And I gave him a copy of the, the Gospel of Luke. It was in Russian. We didn't have it yet translated into Mongolian. And he put it up in a place of honor and in his little girl. And then he said, come outside. And he got his grandson and his grandson, he talked to him. And his grandson jumped on a horse and galloped out there and caught a horse and brought it in. And he said... I want to give you this horse. And I said, well, you want to give me this horse? You know, I'm in the middle of Mongolia. I, we came by plane. I don't know what to do with this. It's okay. I'll, uh, I'll feed it for you, but it's your horse. Whenever you want it, you can come and get it. So if, you're, if you go on this trip to Mongolia and, and you, you, know, you see my horse there, you're welcome to ride when you're over there next year. But the, the thing that struck me so, mo- so much was he'd never heard And the first time that he heard the message, he responded. And that's where people are. We we talked today about who's open and who's not. Just let me give you just a few of the statistics of what have happened through one outreach, through the Jesus Film. And can I just say thank you very, very much. So many of you that have supported the Jesus Film Project, who've volunteered in our offices, who've uh, supported staff members of Campus Crusade for Christ. Thank you very, very much. God will repay you. We we will never be able to. But thank you for that. At this point, just by way of recap, there have been 5.8 billion viewers and listeners to the Jesus Film over these past years. It's not all different people, probably about 3 billion different people, but as you count up all of the crowds... We've finished 887 translations of the film and our, our crew is finishing a new one about every four days. A different language is being translated, uh, the Jesus film, into a different language. 
Uh, as a result of that, about 198 million people have indicated a decision to, to place their faith in Christ. We have right now about uh, 2,100 film teams, over 4,000 workers on those teams that are showing the film every day in their own country. And thus far, uh, almost 50 million video cassettes and DVDs and CDs and various technologies. But 50 million copies have been distributed in all of these languages. And I think, for me, one of the, the greatest things that uh, I like the most is that we're working with 1,539 different denominations and mission organizations and outreaches to say this film belongs to the body of Christ. It's just God's word on film. Uh, use it in any way that you can to help bring people into the kingdom. Don Ministries reported last year that over the past decade, about a million and 50,000 churches have been planted and they estimated that the Jesus film had been used in some way to help three quarters of these churches to get established. But I want to, I want to share just a few minutes today about what God is doing in the Muslim world. Because sometimes these seem to be some of the least reached people and yet around the world when they get a chance when Muslims get a chance to hear the message they respond uh, several of you remember uh, two years ago or three years ago now when uh, Heather Mercer and Dana Curry were captured by the Taliban in, in Afghanistan and uh, we had heard that uh, the reason they were arrested because they were showing the Jesus film on a laptop computer in a Muslim home and so I called uh, Dana's father and I said you know we understand your daughter was arrested for showing the film and we want to help with the, the costs of lawyers coming in from Pakistan to try to get them out and so forth and we, we participated uh, with them but after they got out of prison they came to meet with us and they began to tell their story about how when they were at the trial they started showing the Jesus film to show what the evidence was against see here's the film they were showing and they started showing the film and the judge put up his hand after five or ten minutes and said now we must turn this off lest we get carried away ourselves with that and uh, one of the amazing things was one year after Dana and Heather were arrested almost to the day the Jesus film was shown on national television in Afghanistan because that wasn't the only thing that was going on God had people already praying around the prison one of those men we found out that while they were in prison there were a whole group of believers that every night would walk around the prison and pray they were Afghan believers we didn't know there were even any in the country and there weren't very many but they had heard that these were believers that were in the prison and they walked around at night and prayed for them one of them was a guy we called Joe he was an Islamic student from Kabul and he had escaped into Pakistan uh, during the time when uh, the Russians were, had invaded Afghanistan and one day while he was walking down the street in Peshawar which is just across the border from the Khyber Pass uh, a blind man came up and tapped him and said will you take me across the street so he thought uh, you know as a good Muslim I should help this blind man so he helped him across the street and then the man said can you take me to this address because I think I can get a job there well he took him to this particular address and it turned out to be a Christian mission and while they were sitting in there waiting for things to happen he noticed there was a Bible on the desk and he'd always been a little bit curious about what the Bible 
said. So he thought, well, this man's blind and there's nobody else here. So he stole the Bible. Well, he took the Bible home and uh, was in a language he couldn't read. And after three days, he felt guilty as a good Muslim for stealing the Bible. So he went back to the, the place of the missionary. And he said, I have to admit, I took this Bible. And the missionary said, oh, let me get you one that you can read in your own language. So they switched. And he began to read the New Testament in his own language. He read it every day for a month, four times through. Then he went to his mullah and he said, I, I have all of these questions. And the mullah said, don't read this, burn this immediately. But he took it home and read it again. And after that fifth reading, prayed to receive Christ. He came somehow, he, he was somebody directed to him, the, one of the first showings of the Jesus film on that border. He came to see that and he said, this is what I want to do. I want to help other people to see this film. Well, in Afghanistan, they didn't have very many people uh, that had videos or anything. So they took the audio tape version of it and he began to sneak these to Afghan refugees in the camps he then led his wife to Christ and by the time that the girls were in jail he had led 300 Afghans to Christ and was helping them to grow in their faith he met another man with a similar story same thing had found a new testament had come to Christ and these two men today have formed a little little group and they're believing God to plant a church in every single village of Afghanistan. Let me uh, just give you where things are right now in Afghanistan. They're estimating that 23 families every day are coming to Christ. Uh, the distribution teams we're in touch with right now are in touch with 2,517 families. Um, there are regular follow-up is going on in Kabul right now with 1,600 families just in Kabul, 1,600 believers in Kabul. There are 10 areas throughout the world that have fledgling fellowships that have been established there. There are about uh, 25 million total people in Afghanistan in the last two years. We've been able to share Christ with over three quarters of a million through audio tapes, videotapes, uh, New Testaments. We're broadcasting in uh, in radio from in three different languages from outside the country. And so believers there are very eager to get radios and audio recorders. And so there are people all throughout the country distributing uh, audio tape players and radios so they can listen to the gospel coming in from outside and also hear the audio tapes. But uh, the... Estimates that I've heard lately now is they believe there are over 10,000 believers now in Afghanistan in the same way that there were hardly any known at that, that time in, in uh, Mongolia. The same kind of thing is happening in Afghanistan right now. Last figures I heard from Mongolia is 32,000 believers throughout that country, over uh, 1,500 churches, and uh, spread in every one of the regions of that. But let me go back to Afghanistan. It's almost like when you get the reports from the workers in there, it's like new chapters of the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Here's, here's the report, actual reports that have come into us from, from various cities in Afghanistan. From Logman, we invited 15 families to a Christmas party at our house. Seven families came to the Lord. In the last month, we've distributed 2,000 Jesus audio tapes and 250 radio cassette players. We've also distributed 30 holy books, Bibles, 2,000 audio tapes, and 250 of the radio players in another city. Jalalabad. My wife hides the DVD under her burqa. 
Nobody searches her. I became a believer through the Jesus video, and since then, 60 of my extended family have received Christ. Here's the third city, Logar. We give God the glory for a new brother and sister. We attended a wedding, and my wife shared with a lady that was at the wedding. She went home and told her husband that at a wedding she met somebody who was different, that seemed to love people. We invited them for dinner, and when they arrived at the house for dinner, the husband said, I want to know about this man Jesus you told my wife about. After dinner, they listened to the Life of Jesus audio. They listened quietly, and at the end, they started crying. At the end, the brother shared from the Holy Book, and after two hours, they confessed their sins. Now they're meeting every week to read the Bible together. Kunduz. In Kunduz, I baptized 13 people, and one day I could have baptized 27 if I had enough water. Kandahar. You refer to Kandahar, the Taliban stronghold. We are 16 leaders working together here. We have good friendship with 300 families who have come to the light. In July, we baptized 19 generals in the Taliban army. Nanghar. We are disciples of Jesus Christ. We work in the province of Nanghar. We swam with 23 people in three towns. That means they were baptized. They have everything has code words there. We swam with 23 people in three towns. Our brother swam with 12 people in December. We have 22 people worshiping in two groups, and we've distributed 4,000 audio cassettes. Only God could do all this. Only God. When, uh, when we started trying to show the film in the southern Philippines, down on the island of Mindanao, it's almost 100% Muslim, that particular country, or part of the country. And uh, some of you heard about two years ago of a man from Corona who was beheaded by the Abu Sayyaf guerrillas. Others of you heard of a missionary over there that was killed. They were captured, he and his wife, for a year. And uh, finally, when they were trying to rescue them, the husband was killed uh, over in that same part of the Philippines. This is a guerrilla group that was simply capturing people, holding them ransom, and using the money to buy guns to continue the whole protest to try to separate and make that part of the Philippines a Muslim country. And the group that controlled it all was a group called the Abu Sayyaf guerrillas. Well, we, last year, about a year and a half ago, completed the translation of the Jesus film into their language, the central Sama language, and they went to the home island of the leader of the Abu Sayyaf guerrillas for the premiere. And most people were afraid to come out for the premiere uh, on the, uh, in Barcelona on that island. Most Christians had abandoned the area. But about 100 uh, people gathered for the premiere of it. And when the first scene was showing when Jesus appears the first time at the baptism, everybody began to explain that was the man who was in the village today. And every one of them had seen a man walk through the village dressed identical, looking identical to the actor who played Jesus in the film. And that night, half of the people in this village came to Christ. Another, uh, there was another island where all the Christians had left, uh, Manibal Island. And so as he was going to see his cousin, this uh, man said, I'll just take this, this video of the Jesus film in the central Sama language because we've never had a video in our own language before. And so he put the video in his, in his case as he went there. And after dinner, he said to his cousin, who was a devout Muslim, he said, I have a, I have a film on the life of uh, Isa Amasi, Jesus the Messiah, uh, and it's in our own language. 
if you would like to see it. And uh, his cousin just said, we can't watch this film by ourselves. That would be so impolite to have the only film ever in our own language and keep it to ourselves. That would be terrible. We will show it to everybody on the island. Well, they have no projectors or anything, so they just took his 19-inch television down to the central square of the main area of the island and uh, began to invite people to come. And that night they had 2,000 people came to watch this television sitting in, in the, the area there. And just before they were about ready to turn it on, three Abu Sayyaf gorillas came, just crisscrossed with bandoliers of bullets and uh, guns with uh, grenade launchers on it. And uh, they, they demanded to see the film. So the pastor who had brought the video didn't know what to do, but he said, we have to do this. They got three chairs for the Abu Sayyaf gorillas right in the front. And usually the way they show the film in, in uh, the Philippines is they stop it. As Jesus is on the cross, they stop the film and they freeze frame it and say, now you see that Jesus is dying on the cross for your sins. Do you want to accept the payment for your sins right now? And they give an invitation. Well, because it was so tense, the pastor thought, you know, I don't think we should do that tonight because all the people are here. But he and his wife kind of alternated giving the invitation from time to time, and he forgot it was his wife's night to give the invitation. So she got right up and gave the invitation to receive Christ. And he thought, well, now I'm sure we're dead now. But nothing happened that night. Uh, first thing in the morning, 8 o'clock in the morning, a knock on the door. There are the three Abu Sayyaf gorillas. And he thought they'd come for us for sure. And the first girl leader said to them, we came to appreciate you for what you did for us last night to show us the true story of, of Isa. And we want to thank you and you have permission to show this all over the island. How does God open up these things? Why does he do it? It's because he just simply cares. Cares about people who never got a chance to hear hearing. India is the second largest country in the world behind, uh, behind China. But it's one miracle after another happening in India. I was uh, up with a group of people called the Kui, Q-U-I. And they were introducing me to these people and they were telling me that these people had offered human sacrifices. And I said, this is still happening. He said, not very much, but in the back roads of India, there are still places where human sacrifices are being offered for the sins of a village. He said, these Kui people, they have a tradition that once in each generation, they go to another village by them, that's not too far away, and they find a person there and they drug him, and they bring him back to the village. They, uh, they uh, feast for several days. And then once he's got so much drugs in his system that he doesn't know what's going on, they drag him down to the center of the village. And one by one, every member of the village comes by with clubs and they beat him. And in doing so, they put their sins on him. And he eventually dies. They drag him to a tree and they hang him up on this tree. And then they cut his throat until he dies. And he then becomes the sacrifice for the sins of a village for the whole generation. Well, when they saw the Jesus film translated into the Kui language just several years ago when we finished it, the first people who came to respond to receive Christ were the Kui priests who said, no sacrifice we ever offered ever came back to life again. 
So this is the one true God. We will follow the one true God, Jesus. And in village after village, there are now thousands of Kui that have come to Christ. There are new churches. And um, when I was there, they were baptizing several of these Kui priests. And this one man said that he wanted to be lowered under the water 100 times because he had offered and killed over 100 people and he wanted to be cleansed of all of those sins and so they dipped him over 100 times. What forgiveness. What forgiveness. There was a missionary from the south of India and uh, there were they felt compelled by the Lord to go to a place in India where nobody had gone before. And in this part of the, the country of India, uh, most people had, most missionaries that had gone there had been driven out by the government or driven out because there was so, so much sickness in the area. And they worked up there for over a year. And at the end of the year, they hadn't seen any, not even one person come to Christ. And uh, he was very discouraged and, and he was getting sicker and sicker from uh, the disease in the area. And one day he came forward, came, came home and uh, collapsed on the doorstep of his house and died. The uh, husband and wife had a little baby. The little boy was about two years old and the wife was there desperate to get somebody to help, didn't know what to do with her husband's body, realized that her little boy wasn't wasn't crying, wondered what happened, and went in and found that the little boy had died at the same time. And so she just gathered up her things and returned to her home a thousand miles away. And for all the outside world, it looked like nothing had ever happened. One week later, though, a Jesus film team came into this same area, and uh, they began to show the film. And the response of these Maltos people was incredible. As soon as they saw the picture of Jesus, they said, that's the man we saw walking in the sky. And they had all seen a vision of a man walking across the sky who stopped and picked a branch off of the tree and the branch died. And they knew that God was upset with them for not receiving the message of the missionary. And so when they saw the film, they said, this is it. This is the true God. We will accept we will accept this message and we will follow him. And in, in, uh, within a couple of weeks, there were 130 new believers and seven churches that were started. Within 18 months, they had baptized 6,500 believers in the Maltos tribe. And last month, we had the report there are now 46,000 baptized believers among the Maltos tribe because somebody was faithful to go. And I think that's all God wants us to be, is he wants us to be faithful to go we don't have to be successful that's up to the Lord we only have to be available and how he uses us is up to him some of you maybe have seen the movie that's out right now called uh, Hotel Rwanda tough movie to watch but story of 900 to 900,000 and a million people that were hacked to death by machetes in the war between the Tutsis and the Hutus in Rwanda. One of our film team workers was killed during that time, killed by machete. 
But uh, in the middle of all the chaos that's been happening in Rwanda, the Jesus film is now being shown in the prisons and all these people who were involved in this genocide. The government has said, if, you, if the relatives of the people you killed will forgive you, then we will lessen your sentence. Only God could change people's hearts. As I was driving here this morning, I saw a license plate and it said, here's what it said, 7-T-Y times 7. 70 times 7. Only God can give you the grace to forgive 70 times 7. Only He has promised 70 times 7 to forgive. And that's what makes possible the whole revolution of society, the whole revolution is that God forgives and there is a chance for a new start. That's the good news. Let me close with a story. In, in India, there was a family, Hindu, living in West Bengal near, near the border of Bangladesh. He and his brothers were involved in a big ancestral feud over who was going to get the property. And one day this young man died, leaving a mother and two or three little children and so rather than trying to take care of this woman who, whose husband had died, all of the brothers started trying to f- get control of her property and to take everything away from her. And not only did that happen while, while the relatives were trying to get this woman's property and take her home away from her, she fell ill with tuberculosis. And the only one left to care for it all was a little girl named Rinky, about eight years old. And her mother was so sick that Rinky would go to the doctors in the village every day and plead with them to try to help her mother and they refused because she had nothing to give. So finally she said, Mother, give me those gold bracelets. Maybe I can get them for this gold bracelets to come and treat you. And her uncle saw her taking the gold bracelets off and said, Here, I will take those gold bracelets to get the money for you. And he just kept them. So now they had no possibility of the mother getting any help medically and the uncle had stolen the property and the other uncles were trying to get whatever was left and on one of those nights when everything was just desperate a Jesus film team came to their village and little eight year old Rinky went to the movie all by herself and at the end of the film she walked forward to pray to receive Christ and receive Jesus and she went home and she told her mother the whole movie and she said mother I have to tell you that this Jesus can heal you he healed all these people in the movie and he raised people from the dead and he can heal you, mother, if you will believe. And in the middle of that night, the mother said, I will believe and I will place my faith in Jesus to heal me. The whole night, the mother and the little girl prayed with tears. And when the next morning broke, the mother got up healed by the Lord. They, were, they asked for the Jesus film to come and actually show the film in their own house and they invited all of the relatives all the relatives that were trying to steal their things they invited to come and that night as they watched the Lord convicted these brothers of their greed and 44 of her family members prayed to receive Christ she told one of our our team members if Jesus film had come earlier maybe my father wouldn't have died I lost my father but 44 of my family have come to Christ there's no trouble now and I will never forget the love of Jesus that's what we want the whole world to do 
We want them to know and understand the love of Jesus. We want to be a part of taking that. And as we entrust our lives to the Savior, He's going to give us a chance to help the whole world to hear His message. God bless you for what you're doing. God bless you for your involvement in this missions conference. Let's just pause and pray together as we close. Gracious Father.